Hello and welcome to Between the Lines. I am Tracy Hunter Abramson and I am here with Sean Ann Bessie, Sarah M. Eden, and our special guest, Stephen James. So, Stephen, thank you for making time to be here with us today. Ah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, for those of you who are not familiar with Stephen's work, I'm going to tell you, read his bio because, okay, I'm only reading a piece of his bio because he's way more impressive than even I'm going to tell you. So he is a critically acclaimed author of 18 novels and numerous nonfiction books that have sold over 1 million copies. Um, his books have won or been shortlisted for dozens of national and international awards. And in, additional, in, in addition to that, his stories and articles have appeared in more than 80 different publications, including the New York Times. That is seriously impressive. Um, he is also a popular keynote speaker and professional uh, storyteller. He has a master's degree, and this is the be best thing ever, in storytelling. I didn't know there was a master's degree in storytelling. But James's latest thriller, Broker of Lies, was just released in April, and his sequel, um, Fatal Domain, will be released in 2024. And I believe that is up for pre-order already, correct? Yeah, I think you can find a place to order it, even though people are like, why do I have to wait that long? I'm like, I'm sorry, I got to wait that long too. So it's quite done, but it's just that publishing is a slow business sometimes. It really is. It is a slow process. And we would love to hear more about how you go about doing it. What is your whole writing process? Well, I write completely organically. Like I don't plot or outline anything, even the scenes that I start. And so I'm constantly discovering as I write uh, where the story might go. I've never started a novel where I know how it will end. So for me, writing is like having a conversation where you don't know what the next word is, but you trust that you'll come up with one. And so I trust the knowing story. I know that uh, stories will unfold and then uh, so I, I typically will print out what I'm working on and go through with pencil or pen or whatever and make all the notes and then type all the changes in and then move slowly forward. That's uh, so I do that for a thousand hours and then I have a book. That's wow. 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 My word. OK, so listeners to this podcast will know I am the polar opposite of that. I plan everything. But Tracy is also much more of a discovery writer. She kind of, you know, dis discovers the story as she goes. So I don't know if this is common amongst people who write in the suspense uh, arena or if you two are, are unique, but I'm so curious because my brain is melting a little bit. How <laughs> do you write a book where there's like some kind of a mystery or a thriller aspect to it if you don't know what that ending is? Like, is it just a lot of rewriting? Does your brain just understand? I, I'm so curious how it works in your specific genre. Uh, I mean, a couple of things come to mind. Number one is a lot of my books are too complex to outline. Uh, so for instance, Broker of Lies, there's 17 point of views. Um, oh my gosh. I, would oh my word. Never, I would never suggest anyone doing, but the <laughs> number that I could write the story, tell that story with was 17. So like, um, so even now, I don't even know how you would outline a book like that. I kind of am on the same page with Ray Bradbury, who said that plot is the, tr it's the tracks in the snow that remain w after your characters have run by on their way to incredible destinations. It cannot precede action. It is the path that results when an action is through. 
And so the whole idea of plotting out a story or outlining it before you write it is according to Bradbury and I think me, well, at least it's true in my case, is, is going about it exactly backwards. So plot is what remains after your characters have pursued whatever it is they're pursuing. So to say I'm going to start with what remains doesn't really make any sense to me. So I would never be able to outline what doesn't exist yet. So, so those are some of the things that come to mind initially. As far as how I write, I always ask myself uh, a series of questions to uncover where the story might go. Um, dealing with different aspects of narrative. So believability, causality, escalation, pivots and surprises. So the first question I always ask is, what would this character naturally do? So I always want the characters to act in a believable way. And people who plot out stories will often say, what should happen? Um, but I always ask, what is desired? So when you know what's desired, you'll know what happens. But when you know what happens, you won't necessarily know what's desired. So again, it, instead of approaching it backwards, I try to approach it um, from, from, from the area uh, idea of pursuit. Um, the second question I always ask is, how can I make things worse? And this has to do with escalation. I want to build up, you know, make the stories more and more uh, interesting and um, the tension, build up the tension. And then the third I always ask is, how can I add a pivot or a moment in which what is unexpected meets up with what is inevitable? And so I try to do that with, I try to have a pivot in every scene as well as the book as a whole. So if you don't have a pivot, your scene will be either too predictable because things will only be in, um, inevitable or it'll be too outlandish where things will only be too um, uh, unpredictable. Um, and so in other words, um, if you're writing and we're like, I exactly know where this is going to go and it goes there, we won't be satisfied. Or if you're writing and we're like, oh, well, that was like seriously surprising and that made no sense. And I have no idea where that came from. We won't be happy either. So that's why you need a pivot in, in really in every scene. So so I'm always writing myself toward pivots. And then the, the fourth question I ask is, what promises have I made that I have not yet kept? And so I feel like it's super important to keep promises. So if I'm writing, I might review what I wrote the day before or the week before and say, you know what, I actually introduced this really interesting character 50 pages ago and never did anything with them. So readers are going to expect or want that character to come back. So, so that informs where the scene might go. So I've, I've never run into a, a plot question or problem that one of those four questions hasn't, hasn't actually answered. I love that. I, I, now I feel like, like we like just I, got a master class, guys. I know. I was going to say, I just feel like I'm writing all wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've sent Sean into an existential crisis. Yes. Yes. This is terrible. Okay. No, that, that was, that was amazing. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind well, of a condensation, condensing, not well, condensation. Yeah, obviously, but no, that's. Condensing of, you know, a day long seminar on how to yes. write organically, but. But uh, no, I really feel like uh, it's super important that I, um, that I'm surprised. Like if I'm not surprised, a lot of readers won't be surprised. So like in some cases I haven't known that actually the closest I ever came was one of my books called every wicked man. And um, I was going to send it in at one in the afternoon and at 10 in the morning, I still didn't know how it ended. So that's the closest I've ever come to, <laughs> to not knowing the ending, but I mean, I worked on it for a year. And this and is why you and Tracy are kindred spirits. What? Yes. Yes. I know I should probably tell the story. Like, so Stephen and I actually met at the FBI booth at Thriller Fest. So yeah. that's, <laughs> we, we, we kind of yeah. think 
think the same the same way um, as far as that. But okay, so all of all four of us have taught at different writers conferences over the years. Stephen, you teach you know all over the country, you know, with intensives and such. What is the best advice you can give to someone as they're beginning that writing journey? Don't outline anything. <laughs> Sarah just oh, milking oh, right now. It's, it's worked for me. <laughs> I, I would say probably no matter what your approach, you remember that story trumps structure, that what's more important than following a specific formula or template is to follow where the story naturally goes. So be responsive to the story. Let the characters act without restraint. Like a lot of times we'll like put, um, I guess, I think of it this way, like a lot of people have a leash on a character and they try to lead it around to the plot they have in mind. So I try to just cut the leash and just let the characters act without restraint and see where it goes within the context of the four questions I mentioned earlier. So, so I would say um, be responsive to the story let your characters act in believable, honest, credible ways in concert with who they are. And I don't fall in love with your first draft. Like, I, you know, it's it's very simple. It's very easy, I should say. So when we write something, it'd be like, that's literally the best thing that's ever been written. Like, I know that is. <laughs> it'll change the world. And then you look at it three hours later and you're like, what was I even thinking? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> like, just be aware of that and don't don't press send too early or publish too early or whatever it is, however you might be submitting your story out into the world. So really take the time, step away, come back, look at it with fresh eyes and uh, do that over and over endlessly until there's nothing you can improve with it. And when there's nothing you can improve with it, if you have an editor, you know, look at it, whatever you do. But, but if there's something, I always feel like if there's something I know would make the story better, like, why wouldn't I include that? Like, why wouldn't I change that? So, so yeah. So for me, I know a story's not done as long as there are things that I know I can improve. And um, I'm not saying my stories are perfect, but there comes a point where I'm like, I literally can't make this better because it's right. like as good as I know to make it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can get feedback from editors or agents or whatever, but, but that's all fine. But there comes a point where I'm like, literally, I don't know how I, I personally could, you know, change or improve it. I could change stuff, but I don't know if they make it better. That's kind of when I know a story's done. So how many drafts on average do you go through? Or do you even count? <laughs> I don't count. I did once because people ask me that question sometimes. So one of my books, Placebo, I thought I will keep track of how many drafts I do the first chapter with. Um, and so... Now, I didn't rewrite the entire first chapter this many times, but this I did go through it this many times and at least maybe tweak or change something depending on the context of the book. Um, but before I tell you the number, I'll just say that I believe that uh, I think Tolstoy said the last thing you write is the first thing they read. So like the last thing I tend to edit is the first chapter. Like A lot of people spend enormous amounts of time on the first chapter and then they write their story. And it may be that they don't even need that as their first chapter. So like I always start with something, obviously, but then by the time I get to the end of the book, I might say, you know what? I actually have to change, you know, where this starts based on where it went. Um, so anyway, so I stopped keeping track when I hit 50 with um, placebo. <laughs> oh, oh wow. Opening for that. So, so I know that when I at least went through it at least 50 times. Um, so, that's me now. That's my approach. I'm not saying that a lot of people are way better writers and they can 
They don't have to do that. Uh, but for me, I really want to make sure that every word uh, is fits. That's the right word, the right way to say something. And the more that I know where things will go, the more that I know where they need to start. So as, as I go through a book, I re realize, you know what? 50, 100, 300, 400 pages ago, I don't think this character would actually say that in those words now that I know them better. Right. So I'll go back and make that alter it, you know, alter that a little bit. So are there any specific like common mistakes you find when you're teaching um, <laughs> like intensives and things like that? Are there certain things you're like, I just wish everyone knew this one thing? A lot of people are told to start with a hook or to start with, uh, to, basically they're told to start with a hook to grab the attention of readers, which I understand the perspective. A lot of people will start with like an interesting sentence or paragraph or even page and then spend the next 10 or 15, 20 pages explaining the context that led up to that. And I feel like that's a big mistake. So as long as the hook allows you for the impetus to, ha to have escalation, I think that can be helpful. But I find that a lot of people will say you need to make more stuff happen, like in the beginning of your book. And that's not usually true. Usually you may need to make more stuff matter and more promises. So usually what readers want at the beginning is not more action, but more promises of things that will matter later in the story. And so I often tell people to slow things down actually in the beginning, not that you're trying to slow them down so much, but really you want to orient, you know, readers to be able to see in uh, the scene, care about the characters, care about their pursuit, what they want. And, um, and then, you know, make promises about where things will go instead of just throwing action at readers. There's nothing more boring than relentless action in a story. You can have as much, as many chase scenes as you want in a row, and eventually we're bored to death by just seeing people drive around. So, so it isn't action that intrigues people, I feel, like as much as it is promises. So the promise will give direction to the story, and then we'll we'll look forward to certain moments later within the story. So am I the only one in this podcast who's like madly thinking through my most recent manuscript? As, <laughs> am, am I doing this right? <laughs> Just, oh, man. So, so Stephen, tell us what you're working on right now. Well, a lot of my novels tend to be big stories, high concept thrillers with a big cast of characters. And I know in one of them, I had 57 named characters. That's a lot of named characters yeah. to have in a book and to keep track of. And so obviously I don't recommend that to anyone, <laughs> but it's again, <laughs> it's the least number of, you know, characters that I could think of to be able to tell that story. It was just a big story. So, so, you know, for me, I am working on the exact opposite. Like I'm writing a very compact story with a small cast of characters in a very isolated setting. So it's um, it's kind of a fun exercise to see if I can pull it off. But um, but uh, yeah, so that I'm working on on that, and then uh, a couple of other projects. You know, you always got stuff on the burner. I have a young adult book that I'm working on about a psychopath, and so that's always fun. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one will keep you up at night. So typical for thriller writers. Yeah, we're playing with psychopaths today. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah out of context, that might raise a few eyebrows. <laughs> oh 
I remember one time I was in Denver driving around and I talked, my editor called me on the phone, said, where are you? What are you doing? And I was like, I'm in Denver looking for a good place to stash a body. So it's a <laughs> moment where you're hoping the NSA is not actually listening in. There you go. <laughs> the phone call because uh, actually I was. And I was like, this is an amazing place to stash a body. I found <laughs> oh, man. Well, for both our readers and the NSA, where, where can you be found online, Stephen? Where, where do people oh, wait, look to figure out what you're up to? <laughs> so actually, stephenjames.net has everything about when I'm speaking, where I'll be, different books that I have out. And of course, you can just look for me on social, mostly at Read Stephen James. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. We have... I know this is going to be an episode that I'm going to keep listening to over and yes. over and over again. Yes. I feel like we did get this mini masterclass. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are watching on YouTube, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. And also, we would love for you to listen to your comments. If you have any questions for Stephen, if you, um, and also what topics you might want us to address next time. So thank you for being with us, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you.